Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I don't know how to describe it other than like, like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello, everyone. We're speaking with Annabeth in Texas today. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Okay, so Forrest and Chuck are here. Um, Forrest, I'm going to have you go ahead and uh, take the lead with this one, if you don't mind. Okay, no problem. Hey, Annabeth, how you doing today, sweetie? I'm good. We're having great weather, so I'm great. <laughs> hey, we are, aren't we? It's beautiful out today. Um, it's a beautiful day in Texas. Yep, beautiful in Texas, and you know how Texas love Texas. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, why don't you uh, tell us about what exactly happened? Uh, I believe this happened Christmas Day, correct? Uh, And then, and you might explain to folks that you're just uh, uh, you're in Central Texas here, and um, you're just right up the road from me, actually. uh, uh, You know, not not an hour and a half. And in Texas, yeah. that's your neighbor. <laughs> yes, that's next door. This is nothing. Uh, so I live in Central Texas, and uh, where I found the tracks is actually on uh, our, we have a private conservation list on our ranch, on one of our ranches. And uh, because of the drought, it's way down. And I did not, I hadn't been out there uh, since down that much and when I saw that it was just sandy beaches I got really excited because I'm an artifact junkie and I wanted I knew I could find some good you know maybe some points or, and um, and I also just love pretty rock so I was uh, down there looking and uh, I found a pretty great point the first day a bunch of fossils and just various things and the next day my dad came down and he brought a truckload full of kids with him. And I went over and I said, who wants to go fossil hunting? And of course, all the kids, me, me. And they all jump out. My dad gets out. And we look on uh, the side that we were on for a while. And then my dad leaves and goes back with one of the kids. And then the rest of the kids are with me. And I ask them, who wants to go on the other side? Which there's a cattle, a fence that now runs into what would be the lake because we're keeping cattle out of uh, the other area. And so I found uh, a really good point over there on the, the day before. And the day before, I had been over there, but my head, it was straight down. I was looking for points. Um, I was finding a lot of signs. So I wasn't really looking <laughs> at that area so much and paying attention except for right where I was. And we'd been over there for a few minutes. 
and they can really run on that side more because it's just a sandy beach as opposed to all the rocks on the other side. And now the lake was completely frozen. And uh, as a matter of fact, the kids were throwing rocks way out on the water, big rocks. And they had pictures and video of the rocks just sitting there on top. So it had been frozen for quite some time. That morning, it would have been, it was around 9, 10 degrees. And uh, I, of course, got my head right down in front of me, and I was looking for at rocks and at fossils and flint. And all of a sudden, the kids come running up. We found footprints. We found footprints. And I was just thinking they had found some big animal tracks because there's just tracks everywhere down there. And when I walked over there and I saw that first track, I was, oh, my gosh. And these, they were, they're not so big. Uh, they're about a lady size nine in comparison to my foot, probably. But the depth of them is just wild and crazy. And uh, they go down the beach and then up the fence line and out of the beach area. And uh, I haven't, uh, I've got to get back out there. I'm hopefully going tomorrow. My dad's coming in. So, um, and I've been dying to go fishing in there since it's gone down anyway. So uh, we're having good weather finally. And uh, I'll be able to count the tracks uh, because there should still be the sign. That is a pretty much a lot of the print still there. And then I noticed the next day that all over the beach area were these divots, but they are in footprint patterns. And I realized that those are old prints that have been eroded with moisture and just wind, and they've begun to round out. And uh, they're in different varying stages of that too. So uh, it, it was definitely something very, very heavy that made those footprints. Because there's pictures, of course, I think you guys have seen the pictures where uh, my boot print is next to uh, that footprint. And whatever made it, it would have been, even if it had been the day, uh, the morning before, or that night, two nights before, and I just hadn't noticed them that day, it still, it, that lake did not freeze over like that in a, in a night. It took a couple of, it was, it was would have been 10 degrees and uh which is unusual for texas sort of uh but nevertheless no one is crazy enough to be down on a beach walking barefoot in that weather and uh it was very obvious that it was something much more substantial making those footprints Well, and I think the point to be made is that, uh, you know, uh, Will and I both saw those, uh, uh, that line of prints, and I think Chuck did too. Um, and uh, it is unusual here in Texas to have weather that cold, but no one in their right mind is going to be out there and uh, walking in mud in uh, 9 and 10, de- 10 degree weather because it, it got that cold here too. And I, I can guarantee I wouldn't be out there walking barefoot. And um, now, and it's colder in Texas. I was in Russia once at the at the end of November, and it was 17 below one day. And when we came back that first night, it was about 34. And we had gone out to some friend's house, and everybody was standing out around the fire. And I remember remarking that it I was way colder here at 34 degrees than it was there, 17 below. So it gets very, very bone chilly cold in Texas when it gets really cold like that. It's just, it, it's 
it might, and of course, yes, we're probably weak, but you know, it might as well be 25 below out there to us, but it really is that it's much colder. And, and even if someone was going to do it as a joke, because my dad has had, um, it, my dad has had a, a run in before. And, uh, even so I was gonna, they were not going that distance. So you guys could see how long, how far that was, maybe a few footsteps, but not all the way down that beach then back up out of the beach area. And I could follow that for quite some way. And uh, then there were also the muscle shells uh, scattered open up in the woods uh, and in the away, good ways away from the beach area, which is sort of unusual. Yeah, I, I've come across that here in Oklahoma uh, in, at a lake where it had fresh, uh, freshwater shells uh, mm-hmm. and and you would find piles of those out in the wood line just stacked up so they sure. they, do, they do like the mussels yeah i would i mean a great food source and uh you know that there's quite a few freshwater sources around there but that particular it's a conservation lake so it's a larger one then most of them well stocked, and so it has a really good, you know, mussel and uh, shelf population, and so um, and they're fairly large. So I'd imagine it's a great snack and food source. Right. Yeah, I think. Well, didn't you uh, didn't you feel like some of those tracks were knuckle tracks too, as well? That, a- absolutely. Uh, you on that? Yeah, there's there's a couple different sizes at least among those footprints and uh and some of those do like some of the older images there the, the older prints look like knuckle prints so they may have been one of them may have been walking in all fours there and i didn't notice until yesterday that when i was sending uh more pictures to will that one of them actually looks like it has another digit print on top of the others or amongst the others it's so it's beneath uh the next to the last toe and it's just it's a, it's a, that toe size too and so i could certainly see where that could be a thumb you know it's obviously it's something below those uh those prints the other the toes well now you were talking about uh, a geo uh, geological area there that you have, uh, and I've heard about this, uh, the seep area, and uh, which is a spring area, and then um, the the narrows. Uh, the narrows. Was, it down, was it down there that you had found some uh, tracks or some other evidence uh, in that area as well? No, the narrows, I've been down in there, and um, it, the narrows are interesting simply because there there's names and dates carved all over the narrows of uh, you know, way back in the 1800s and stuff. And it's just a really cool, it's, it's a very, it's very ethereal down in there. But there's a lot of freestanding rock formations that are hollowed out. They're like little huts almost in cave areas. And it really, that is on one person's property, but that extends out that rock form, that geological formation. It's right before you get into the West Texas area and it, it's, it's, that's a real sandy, sandy area, and so it's loaded. The the, uh, the rock formations in that area are the red 
sandstone and and a lot of there's a there was a there was a petrified forest out more towards Seat spring uh, which the ranch is out in there in that area and uh the narrows that uh which of course would be an opportune hiding place uh, and and out in that area uh that I measured it, and as the crow flies, it's about four and a half, five miles. And in between the two are other freshwater sources, there's tanks and things, but there's not that. And also that lake, uh, it serves as a migrant bird sanctuary, and it is amazing to watch birds come in and on that lake and feed, and of all kinds. And so, and then of course, wildlife of all kinds. That's why I thought the kids were they were talking about and we've had a recent big uh, bobcat sighting and um and so you know i i can see where things would certainly it's a good hunt it's good hunting grounds but there are some of those divots where it looks like that uh uh they just go into the water which i suppose that you wouldn't have too much of a problem with on cold days when you're covered in that kind of covering, you could probably stand to wade into some water and pull those vessels up. Yeah, that weather doesn't bother bird. them too much. No. Now, your father had a sighting. Can you tell us about that? Yes, it was, it was, uh, I was a baby and my dad was out driving. He was driving back to uh, the, where we're from and he was out in between little bitty town in Texas, literally, it's one of those, if you blink, you'll miss it, uh, out in Lomita, in between, between Lomita and Gulfway. And he had been following behind this man for quite some time. And it was dark. It hadn't been dark so long, but it was dark. And uh, suddenly the man in front of him hit something huge. And its headlight, his headlights were, of course, on bright. And there in the headlights, a few months later, it stands up and it runs off or kind of stumbles off at an angle at uh, on hind legs, on two legs. And the man got out, my dad got out, and that man looked at my dad and said, what the F was that? And uh, they were both terrified. And when my dad got in, and now my dad is not the type to, this is not on his radar at all, at all. Uh, and he came in and he was very shaken and obviously terrified. And he told my mom and uh, of course, so we've always given him a hard time about it because he was so shaken and my dad doesn't get that way. And, you know, we, and it was never that none of us didn't believe they saw something. something oh, absolutely. But we like to give my dad a hard time about it. And then now on Christmas day, <laughs> these tracks appear, which are, they're just, they're just bizarre and uh, they're so distinct and obviously very heavy footed. And of course I, they, the pictures, they go from uh, very heavy thinking in the mud to where the sand is and the, and the vegetation starts to come in. And so those footprints are less and less, but you can still see them for quite some time. Um, and there's even one a picture that I sent you will, where I, mentioned how what was shocking about it to me was the depth of the big toe it almost looked like something pointed hollowed that out in there 
Yeah, those are very heavy tracks, especially for the temperature. Let me ask you, too, on the temperature that day with the sand, was it was it frozen much at all, the sand? No. No, the sand wasn't frozen up where that was. Uh, that was. There no, uh, it, and it had, it warms up fairly fast in the morning. Uh, so, and we were down there later on. Uh, but still it would have been, uh, and I don't know that that there's enough moisture really in there, right there where those tracks were, uh, for that sand too hard freeze, uh, at that point in time. It just, uh, even though the lake was frozen, uh, well, uh, probably at least 20, 30 yards out there, it was frozen solid. Uh, it, it still, it wasn't to the point where it could be frozen, that ground. Okay, so in, that, in the sand so, where the tracks are, it wouldn't have affected the depth much, would it? No, no, no. They And like I said, the other divots, it's obvious that there's, and other activity down there. Some of them, they almost, it almost looks like uh, digging, uh, but they're in a footprint pattern. And a lot of times they will thought they will be alongside a fresher set of tracks. It's kind of that same path. Thing. Uh, I actually have a picture of, of that where you notice there's an old set and, and this alongside the, the fresh one. So, well, um, I've got a question for you. Where the, yes. where the divots and stuff are, is is it possible? Is it a possibility that they're they're digging up the clams in that area? Yes, yes. That's what it, it's obvious that some are footprints, uh, or what I can only gather footprints. I mean, they're in that in the footprint pattern, but then there are some where it looks like they are almost freshly dug little divots. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's what made me think, uh, well, these are obvious footprints, but, and now what I hadn't thought about also was being on all fours where those pan bombs are, that would look more like that in the area that, that because those divots are all up and down, going back up to what would have been the old bank up in there. So it, it goes, they go down the beach and then up, of course, on the beach. So, um, but the tracks themselves, they go down the beach following the water line and then come to another fence line and they turn and go up into the wooded area and disappear. Well, I just wonder if those divots could be possibly, and Chuck, you might, uh, when, uh, I think this may be what you're alluding to. It's when they dig down because I know when we hunted for clams yes. and such in uh, uh, Alaska, you got to dig a little bit down in the dirt. And I mean, you don't necessarily go back and uh, you pat that dirt down and it just it leaves a little clod of dirt uh, or sand uh, actually uh, uh, where right. you uh, pull that, that uh, clam out and it works the same way with mussels. Uh, I'm not that familiar with freshwater mussels, but. I know that well, where I live, we have, we have a problem with the zebra mussels up here, but I do know that we do have freshwater mussels in the in the lakes up here too. That's why they wanted to get rid of those zebra mussels. But uh, um, it it appeared to me, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that your footprints look like they might have been more in a, a clay type of material because I know 
that we use clay to line a lot of the, the stock tanks and such uh, because it holds water better up here uh, or down here. I'm actually down south. I'm farther south from you. And I right. know you probably did the same thing in Oklahoma there, uh, uh, Chuck. Don't you put, uh, don't they put clay to uh, most of those uh, 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 stock tanks and such up there too? Do they, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last part. Uh, clay, where the you've seen the the footprints, it looks like it may they may have been uh, in clay material, uh, and which right. is I think the reason that they actually uh, lasted uh, so well and so clear that they may have stepped in that clay along the uh, um, that uh, that lake there. Yeah, I agree. Well, Comanche is Comanche is actually known for its sandy loam soil. And so sandy loam is sand with clay mixed in. So it's yes, a, mix. and on and on the other end of the county where I lived before, out in Newburgh area, where I told you that's considered the top of the hill country. That that soil out there is very alkaline, very hill country, caliche clay, a lot of clay mixed in there. And then you start getting over into the other end of the county, and you start having the sandy loam more and more. And um, of course. Uh, pecans and, and then peanuts grow in that, and that's what Comanche was known for. Till the peanuts went to West Texas, but it's that it is a clay uh, sand mixture. On that beach, it is more sand, but that area is more sand. But there is still that clay mixed in, um, and uh, it, that's why what you're saying that they were more preserved like that. Well, I know you said you were on the migratory uh, bird. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of migratory birds that come through uh, Texas. And uh, um, so I'm just wondering, do you, do you get a lot of them that may, may be landing in that uh, lake as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they feed there. It's fascinating. It's so awesome to watch them come in. And there's, uh, there are uh, seagulls. There are, there are, uh, pelicans <laughs> and it's so strange that there's pelicans all over the lake they come from everywhere so it's a and and big birds will come and then you know they'll come in huge flocks of geese and ducks and, and the the tank is i mean the lake is loaded stocked with uh a, a really healthy fish store so um there's plenty of opportunity there well, what's what's the foliage like in that area? Is it is you got a lot of timber and stuff there as well? So we do. Um, it's a lot of live oak, um, a lot of hackberry, a lot of you, you get some bur oak and red oak mixed in. Um, some cedar. That's more on the other end of the county, though. Uh, it's a pretty. But we're at, where we're at in Texas. We're right in the center, and we're at kind of the crossroads of the major geological formations of Texas, except for the Piney Woods and then uh, uh, the coast, obviously. But the Erath County, which is just the next county, it starts out in the Dublin area, which is the next town to us. That's where you start the cross timbers area. So we have a good, a lot amount, I mean, a great amount of forests and, and things here. Uh, before and that's right on the edge before you start getting into the West Texas line 
where it's just a lot more uh, mesquite, scrubby. It's not as much of a... Now, there is a belt brew there. uh, Like, if you're going for an Abilene forest from 36 Comanche to Abilene, there's a belt down and through there, just outside of uh, Brown County, where... It gets, there's a lot of cedar through there. There's Caddo Peak, and I don't know if you guys have heard, there's, I think, several things about Caddo Peak. Um, and uh, that is, there's a lot of cedar out there, but, uh, and, it, and it's got a lot of what we have. But we're, we're that right on that edge before you get to that, and that's at least probably, you know, a good 70, 80 miles from us. So we're, that's right on the edge, and it's, uh, down where that gets, where the narrows are, are and all that, it, it's really a good amount. As a matter of fact, you can't, if you want to go see the narrows, you have to go in the fall uh, and when they're not, it's not hunting season. But otherwise, you can't see it. It's so overgrown. Well, have you ever looked or, or found tree structures in some of those areas? I, I haven't, but I haven't thought to look. I just wasn't looking. <laughs> you know, okay. it wasn't. It's not that uh, I have, I'm I'm a floral designer also, but I specialize in forage florals and uh, both fresh and dried and native. And so I'm constantly out. I'm also a rock hound and an artifact junkie. And, you know, I just want to be outside. And so, um, and so I work outside and uh, I'm, real familiar with everything that's around me uh, and in a big area because I have access to a lot of property. Um, but it, it never occurred to me to be looking for those. And so when you're not thinking to look for something, you know, you, it's not until you somebody mentions the white truck that you notice how many white trucks there are <laughs> is around you. So you know, I'm sure that now I, I'll find more. When, I'll find one. How's that? When we talked on the phone the other day, uh, we brought up the topic of animals either being killed or missing. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, so uh, my dad, we run cattle out there, and uh, you had asked what kind of cattle we rent. We uh, rent up on that ranch, framers, heifers, and, uh, and then we've got a starlight bull on them. But those, if you know anything about cattle, framers, they're not the kindest cattle there is. And uh, so they'll, they'll put up a good fight. And we, I know that uh, dad has had, he's lost several heads out, head out there. And they have just assumed that it was uh, the, uh, no, it's the, it wasn't a bobcat, it's a mountain lion that they've got. It's a, and it's a huge mountain lion. Plus they have it on gang cam. And they had just assumed it was the mountain lion. So um, when I was told that, uh, I'm going to find out the nature of the court, um, and I can get you guys a little bit more information on that. But I do know that they have had uh, several head lost out there. Well, have you any of your uh, neighbors that you know of uh, had any reported sightings or uh, uh, cattle loss? Uh, no, there's there? not been any. They have never noticed anything. Of course, when I called both of the uh, neighbors, uh, they both were on the other side of the lake. And uh, and one of them works for my dad, and the other one is, uh, what, well, she actually, that was, 
their family ranch. And uh, after her parents died, they sold off, uh, her brother sold off their part and my dad bought it. And they've been our family friends forever. And so when I called both of them, uh, both, neither of them had noticed anything like that, but both of them, both of them were totally shocked. At first they didn't, because I was just telling them about them on the phone. And, you know, they were kind of, uh, and then when I sent them the pictures, they were both like, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, the one uh, neighbor who lives uh, across, she said that it, she said, well, that would explain my dogs and their behavior lately. And her dogs, they were puppies from out there and they just run everywhere. And lately they've been, they won't, they've been acting really strange and hanging right close to the house and right close to her. She's outside, and, uh, which is really unusual for them. And then uh, the other neighbor, she is the one who works for my dad, and she's the one who told me about his cattle and that uh, I had heard that she, that they had some things on game camera and that's why she said, well, we haven't seen anything like that, she said, but that we have got that, that mountain lion. And she said, but that's not, she said, there's nobody else in Beth who has access down there who would be, who would be down there at that uh, time. And, and this, temper, you know, weather. So, you know, they were definitely uh, both pretty shaken. I would be if I lived up there. And, uh, well, I don't know that I would be. I think I'd be very intrigued. <laughs> also a little like, those are some really serious footprints. They were shocking to me the first time I saw them. I'll say that. Well, I, I had forgotten you had told me about that, uh, about the dogs and the puppies that uh, were now hanging up around the house, that they, they had always run around out in the pasture and, and uh, were uh, running around out away from the house. And now that they weren't doing that, they were all uh, clustered up around the house like they were fearful right. of something out there. Yeah. Well, and, and they figured also that it was an outline. And, you know, I could also, it looked like some of the tracks. Now, because there is so much activity coming down to that water, I can't say this at all for certain. But it did, you got a feeling and, and almost, I, and it was because of more where the tracks came out at, I think. The other tracks that were mixed with it. It was almost as if uh, that you could see something, uh, an animal being tracked. And, uh, you know, I, even if it was all the, all creatures great and small are going to use the same paths often. I mean, the interstates and major highways today are the Buffalo uh, trails. So, you know, it's, it's, so I can, but something made me think that it looked like there was tracking happening. And, uh, you know, I think that it doesn't surprise me that, a mountain lion and this at the same time for some reason, you know, perhaps it's a king of the jungle thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, I, I would tell you, and I think will and force both would agree on this. When you, when you're out there looking at some of this stuff, just make sure you keep your head on the swivel. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm uh, and try not to go by yourself either. Yeah, uh, that, that'll be hard for me because I'm I'm one of those who I go down. I've been down in some crazy places by myself. Um, I was down in the 
the back of the Spillway or Lake Brownwood when I was a kid. We would go down there all the time. And I don't know how we didn't die. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know. We never saw a snake down in there. That was so strange. And that's deep and rocky down there. So I'm very, uh, I'm super, I'm hyper, hyper observant. And uh, my mom will tell anybody that I will notice everything. And I have hearing that is so good that if a room's quiet enough, I can hear a bug crawling. And so I'm constantly, but um, I'm also not stupid. So now, and what was such a shame is I, I kept saying, man, now would be the best. Now, when it's like this, if the weather would get nice, this is the best wet time to camp when this beach is like this. And I kept saying that. And then there's these footprints. Well, no, thank you. We'll stay at the house. It's nice, and, and yeah, that it's it's a it's protected. Well, the one thing I was going to point out, and I think uh, uh, Will, you noticed it too, that those tracks are in a straight line, uh, and the the depth of those tracks, because I know Annabeth, you had uh, uh, you know stepped in your work boot next to one of those, and uh, they're just slightly longer than. Uh, uh, your footprint, but the depth is what amazed me. Is they they look like they're at least three to four inches into the the mud there. Oh yes, absolutely. They're it, the heaviest ones at they're at about right at four inches, and then it's so wild how deep the toe prints are too. Um, and I you know I mentioned that the the arch is really uh, really high, but uh, of course, Will had said that the gate, the way they're, and they're that shifting their weight, and so that makes sense to me too. Obviously, it's not, um, you know, it's probably a, a younger female uh, or just a younger one in general. But then there are pictures where it looks like a smaller print, and uh, the, and I thought it was only one right behind it, but there's actually two, and they are they look like smaller prints. Um, and so it's those two prints and then suddenly the big prints begin and, uh, they go quite a ways down that, that beach, probably like 50 yards or so, and then back up another 10, 15 yards. So, and I'll get a, an exact count. And I, I had the kids with me and <laughs> it was so much was going on and, uh, I didn't get a chance to measure the the distance between and all that but i'll still be able to so unless something's come through there and mowed it all up and then if it has they have, we've got something more interesting on our hands because <laughs> nobody out there would be doing that they they are messing they would care they could care less you know they weren't impressed with my uh, my friends well, okay <laughs> i i think they're probably scared i don't want to be down there doing that so They'll mess with the catalyst. <laughs> but I will tell you one thing that's strange is um, on the side of the lake where the cattle are and are allowed, I didn't notice any cattle down there by that water. And there's plenty. There's be there's beach areas on that other side, lots of them. They're just not as a big, wide open beach. You know, they're a smaller little area. And in um, that, but I was, and of course there's, the sand, the ground, all the way going down to the lake and everything. And I, there were no cattle prints. Or 
piles of crap either. It was all, you know, way back up on that hill where it starts into the woods area. So you you hadn't had noticed any cattle coming down in uh, uh, from that uh, direction where the footprints were. No, there were no pre- cattle prints, no, no signs of the cattle. I have seen the cattle. There is where the uh, if the tank is full, uh, if the lake is full, there is a, an overflow small tank, right? At and it's kind of at the end. It it of uh, it's up or at the down up where the cattle are, it would be the first one for water they would come to. And I have mm-hmm. seen them go to that and drink. But any further past that? No. No. That's, that's strange. Uh, were there any deer tracks or? Uh, yes, uh, big there were lots of other, lots of other, plenty of, uh, you know, it looks like to be coyote. There's uh, raccoon. There's all kinds of other tracks. Deer, plenty of deer. But no cows were going down there. Well, that's kind of unusual, Will. The cow cows are ob- obviously apprehensive about using that area. Yeah, there's some reason they're staying away from it. Yeah, and I had thought it was strange that they were drinking out of that uh, overflow tank the first day that I went down. Now the the lake was frozen. Um, and I'd even, I'd gone out in the morning. That was that first morning. And I noticed that was really frozen. And I thought, oh, I wonder if the guys, have, uh, you know, they're probably, if it freezes hard again tonight, they'll be busting up water tomorrow. And um, the cow, I noticed that the cows were down there. And they were like right on the edge. And I thought, are they getting any water? And, but I noticed a spot that looked like a hat. But uh, before it, when, as the drought's going on, that water is sitting, and that's the stagnant water is in that that spot. And so before it froze, it was stagnant water. Well, just because it's frozen, why would they go to the stagnant water source? Yeah. I guess it's more appealing on ice. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't, they usually will stay away from that. I mean, they know, stay away from that stagnant water. Yeah, that's and they like could have been just licking the ice, but there's no signs of the cattle going down any further. Otherwise, so that's, I thought it was really interesting. You know, cattle will break the ice. I mean, my horses do here when we because we had the same weather that you did down there, and my horses were out here breaking the water in the stock tank. They just they just uh, right it with their hooves they, and, yeah. and break it open. Yeah, right, right. And I knew the cattle could, but it was strange to me how they were on the very tip end of that tank. It was, it, you know, and they weren't even around it. They were just on that tip end on their side. And uh, it's kind of right where the woods begin. And like I said, it's just an overflow on that little part right there. And uh, like, there's no even... And that that area is where it goes down further into that, uh, toward the lake. And so from there to the dam, the cattle can move. And they would, I would see signs that they were going down further and getting water from the lake. lake. Well, and I'm curious now, the direction of the, 
the prints, did it look like it was coming from a, uh, um, I couldn't tell whether that was uh, north, south, east, west, but uh, did it look, appear like they were coming from a, a covered area, like with brush and such, or and moving back into a brushy area? No, and that's what's strange, is they just suddenly begin there on that beachy area, that same mud, or same sandy dirt, the whole, right, all behind it, too. And they just suddenly begin with what looks like two smaller prints right behind. And then they go down to the fence line. There's another fence down there uh, that's the fence line between us and the other uh, people who live on uh, my dad's employee, our house. It's the fence between our property. And they go down the beach to that fence line and then turn and go up that fence line and out of the beach area. And so, and it's, in a lot of areas, it's, it, you know, a real drop off from the old bank or where the bank normally is. And over there, it's more of a, it's just a gentle slope. And uh, so you, I can follow the track a good ways up until the, there starts to be a lot more of the vegetation mixed in. And then they just suddenly stop. I should be able to see the next few tracks at least because there's not enough ground uh, vegetation there to cover that up, but I can't, there's not. Now the sand is also harder and harder, but still the, my boot print, I could see those. And, you know, you can, following this gate for the, so long, you know where the next step should theoretically be. I mean, even if they took a hard turn, you could still find it. So they just suddenly stopped. And then also where the divots are, those are coming from all different. Like it looks like they uh, are, whether they were coming out of or going out of the beach area, they're further down up on that, that steeper incline, well, drop off the bank kind of. Of course, I could walk down that. It's not super drop off, but it's not a gentle slope either. And so it's, there's, it looks like there's been activity constant activity for oh ongoing I mean and it you can see where they either came in down that way or went out and up a different but they're all going um leading or coming from those woods behind the or in front of I guess that lake well and this was all recently too you found all those on uh I did uh, if I remember correctly on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day it was Christmas Day that uh, that afternoon that we that we found the prints. Yeah, and uh, those divots I noticed later that day. The next day, then I I was by myself and I went down there, but we were um, so I could get more pictures. I had the kids with me then uh, the day that we found them. And then the following day, I went down there and was able to get some more pictures and take a look at things. And I also wanted to see what their new fresh tracks. Um, and, uh, it, it was getting late though, too. Um, we'd gotten everybody gone and packed up and everything. So, uh, I got, I was down there by myself for a little while taking pictures in and I haven't gotten a chance to be, to go back yet. My dad is coming in. So, uh, hopefully tomorrow. And again, I 
want to fish. So uh, now convincing my dad to go with me, I'm not too sure about that <laughs> for various reasons. He's not interested in fishing, uh, probably with me, but he's also probably not really interested if Bigfoot's been hanging around, walking around down there, fishing himself. So he might not be ready to see another one. Um, no, I think he's we, had his encounter. He's good. <laughs> he's good with that. Happy with his one encounter. Um, uh, right. That was enough for him. Will, uh, what do you think about her putting game cameras or uh, such down there, possibly? She could try it. I mean, if it's you, typically if it's on, you know, human dwelling area, you, you can probably get away with that where they won't bother them. Um, it's hard telling, though. I mean, it's that is out a little bit away from buildings and things but it's worth a try i um, and i'll see what the guys if i can get them to put them up for me um now i know that my neighbors uh well the jen the one who works for my dad uh they have an infrared scope and uh so they were gonna be watching night they're watching for that mountain lion anyway <laughs> and uh because they're they had to move their cattle off their land. And uh, so they're watching for that mountain line, but also now they're thinking, is this something else? So, um, and I know that they've got cameras up and I think she, and she had mentioned that they were going to put more up anyway, and they're right there with us. So um, I'm sure she'll kind of rig one to shoot at our side of the beach there. Um, Let me ask you, why? So. what makes them think there might be something else besides the mountain lion? Well, just when I said, I mean, they never, it never occurred to them. Of course, certainly, you know, people aren't your first assumption after you've seen a mountain lion on uh, your game camera is that, oh, it must be Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until, well, when I called, I said, okay, now why I'm calling you is very strange. <laughs> and uh, so when I, you know, I was telling her about it and I said, well, um, we, I got off the phone and I sent her the pictures and the very first picture, her first reply was, holy shit. And it it was so obvious. It's just so something huge is walking down there, and at unreasonable times. So they didn't. And, they didn't just dismiss the idea then. <laughs> no. Uh, oh no. Uh, and if it was somebody Jen's not the type I, either, she's. I mean, Jen's a landman. That's literally what she's. Oil and gas, and she's a landman, and um, that she she based as a matter of fact. Uh, they were out working cattle that day when she called me. Um, so, you know, she's not she's not one to easily go, hey, this looks like Bigfoot, and it kind of, sort of, it, I mean, it was, they're so, it, it's just bizarre. And it's that depth more than anything. And that ground is so disturbed. You know that the sand is piled up around them. I mean, they're pretty awesome. I was so shocked when I you know, came up on them, the kids. We found footprints, and yes, y'all did. <laughs> well, you know, there was a sighting, Will. Um, Lampasas is right down 281, straight, straight south from, uh, uh, on 281, and I know Annabeth knows exactly It's on I'm 16 also. If you, if, yeah. it, Highway 16 goes straight to Lampasas, uh, uh, or while well, you go... That's how we get to burn it. <laughs> you go through land passes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, yeah. that area through there is real interesting. That's all granite. 
So do you know any, yeah, any particulars and, uh, about that sighting forest? Well, I just remember it was uh, some young boys that were uh, down there fishing on the Lampasas River, and they uh, they saw one. And, of course, they came back, and it was kind of the, the same situation. You know, nobody believed them, but, uh, you know, I think, as it turned out, another rancher actually saw the creature down there, too, and then, and then it was like everybody was going, oh, my, we've got something down there uh, pretty big that's roaming around. Uh, now, I didn't ever hear of anything like cattle loss or, uh, you know, anybody reporting any, uh, you know, animals disappearing. Do, but, do you uh, remember what time frame know, that was? Uh, it's been a few years back. I'd have to go look it up, and I probably should have done that so that... Uh, that uh, area is getting more and more developed, though. What's mm-hmm. happening is where, where forest is, is the hill country, and it is so... It's like the hottest place in the United States to live. Uh, all you Californians are moving in. And uh, so it, Sorry, it's getting more and more developed. <laughs> and our area is really kind of the last area that is a lot of still privately owned large sections of land that is has the it has trees and a good coverage. I mean, well, that's in East Texas also, but it's pushing things our way out of, and they're more south. Uh, forces more south of me. So it's pushing things up and more and more into this area. And then passes, uh, it's on the edge of that. And so there's more and more uh, development going into land passes. But that's one rocky, uh, beautiful area. It's all granite and a huge formation and a great place for one to be. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, where I live, uh, now I'm lucky. I have got nothing but dirt on my property, and it's all sandy loam, just like what you've got. But, uh, I mean, you can go five miles down the road headed towards the lakes, and you start seeing all these granite domes and these granite outcroppings. And actually, um, um, one of our enchanted rock, which is over by Fredericksburg, and I know Annabeth knows exactly what I'm talking about, uh, Enchanted Dome, uh, and David Polites actually has a story about that because there's a very, very famous story about a, uh, friar, a Catholic friar that was being, uh, pursued by Comanches and he went up on that granite dome and all of a sudden, uh, he disappeared. The Comanches couldn't uh, find him. They went all over that granite dome and they couldn't find him. Well, what had happened and the story that he told was, that it was divine intervention, but that he was taken down into the uh, this uh, uh, granite dome, and he remained there for uh, a couple of days, and then the Comanches, of course, meandered off, uh, couldn't find their the their guy they were chasing, and then he was able to come out of the granite dome. Now you can believe the story or not, but that's that's how the rock actually got its name, Enchanted Rock. And but we do we have these huge granite domes and of course we've got uh, you know uh, granite mountain out here where all the granite comes out but uh, uh, they do they that's one of the biggest industries in this area is granite you know mining for granite so uh, but I have one just like five, a granite dome just like five miles down the road and but I think that what's happening in my area and it's probably going to start resulting in uh, maybe more traffic through your area as far as Bigfoot 
we've just got so many people moving in here. And of course, this is a very yeah. picturesque. This is a very picturesque part of of Texas, the hill country and the lakes and and the granite. It makes for a very very it's distinct, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful, <laughs> and everybody wants to live here. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's done wonders for the property values. It's the property values have just shot sky high. You can't high buy right. a postage stamp now. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't buy a postage stamp size that now. No, it, but it's definitely pushing things out of that area and uh, and to up here, um, where it is still a lot of raw open country. Um, well, we're- but of course, it's quickly moving moving this way too. We're starting to run a little short of time. Any final comments, folks? Great. You keep in touch with us so that if you hear of anything else, that uh, you'll definitely get back with us. And uh, um, I just, I find this real exciting to to know that you found those prints. Absolutely. For sure. Chuck? For sure. What do you have? Yeah, great, uh, great find that you had. And, and, you know, like I said, there's a lot of things to look around there, and uh, just be careful when you're doing it. But I appreciate you coming on the show. It that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys and your help and your thoughts, and uh, you know, it is pretty awesome to, to discover anything new in the ground, as always. And it's a mystery. Annabeth, <laughs> thank you so much, and we really appreciate it. And like Forrest said, keep in touch with us. I, I'm curious to see what the uh, the neighbors if they get anything on their scopes or if you find anything more down there i sure will and um hopefully i'll have some updates for you here in the next day or two awesome all right folks thanks for listening it was great to meet you guys thank y'all it's good talking to you again you take care y'all too bye-bye in bigfoot history Bluff Creek Road, October 12, 1958, Northern California. Several miles south of where the tracks were usually seen, Ray Kerr and Leslie Brazil in a pickup truck at night claimed to have seen a huge, dark, hairy, man-like figure take the road in two strides. Footprints were found at the place they indicated. This was the first publicity reported sighting of Bigfoot at Bluff Creek. But I was told that Lawrence Omeg of from Oric had actually seen him earlier outside a shack by the road where he bunked at night. He had left the job without, at the time, saying why. The Spokane Indians, 1975. Indians had a Sasquatch, too. Those who think the stories about a huge, hairy mystery giant called a Sasquatch are of a recent origin should talk with the Wenatchee Valley College historian, John Brown. Brown has found evidence that the search for such a legendary creature was underway in the Northwest by the time the earliest white men arrived in the region. While researching material for a book he co-authored with Dr. Robert Ruby, the Spokane Indians' Children of the Sun, he came across a passage that must relate to what is now called a Sasquatch. The reference was in a letter written by the Reverend Elkanah Walker from Fort Colville in 1840. 
with his wife, Mary. Elkanah Walker was a missionary to the Spokanes. In a letter to the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, he wrote, I suppose you will beat with me if I trouble you with a little of their, the Spokane Indians, superstition, which has recently come to my knowledge. They believe in the existence of a race of giants, which inhabit a certain mountain off to the west of us. This mountain is covered with perpetual snow. They inhabit its top. They may be classed with Goldsmith's nocturnal class, as they cannot see in the daytime. They hunt and do all their work in the night. They are men-stealers. They come to the people's lodges in the night, when the people are asleep, and put them under their skins, and take them to their place of abode, without their even waking. When they awake in the morning, they are wholly lost, not knowing in what direction their home is. The account the Indians give of these giants will in some measure correspond with the Bible account of such a race of beings. They say their track is about a foot and a half long. They will carry two or three beams upon their back at once. They frequently come in the night, steal their salmon from the nets, and eat them raw. If the people are away, they always know when they are coming very near by their strong smell, which is most intolerable. It is not uncommon for them to come in the night and give three whistles. Then the stones will begin to hit the houses. The people are troubled with their nocturnal visits. Brown says he has known about many Spokane Indian legends about monsters, but they have been of the Paul Bunyan type that carves out valleys, etc., the ogre referred to in the letter is not really a monster, just a little bigger than man, and he had no idea what mountain to the west is referred to, the one that always is snow-topped. Perhaps it was Mount Rainier. The Spokanes also believed in a race of little people, Brown says. Even if the stories about the little people and the giants aren't true, the Indians believed they were, he says. Many people today believe just as fervently in the existence of a hairy, man-like object that sometimes is glimpsed, but never really seen. Plaster casts of prints supposedly from the feet of such a creature have been exhibited. One Sasquatch hunter has what he believes to be a picture of the man-animal. This area's involvement with the legend goes back some 25 or 30 years to the wild man of Lichenwaster, supposedly seen on that mountain by fishermen. Myth or fact, no one knows. But at any rate, John Brown's research indicates that reports of such a Bigfoot are nothing new. September 22, 1975. Wenatchee, Washington. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.